Welcome to the third episode of the third season of Breadcrumbs, our youth ministry podcast at Bread of Life Church. I'm Jason Lowe, the youth minister. Our theme this season is Where God Has Taken Me, My Spiritual Journey. The fact is that life is a journey, with peaks and valleys, and our spiritual lives, our relationship with Jesus Christ, is no exception. But it's often by virtue of the journey itself that we grow and draw nearer to our God and Savior. In this season, we will be taking a biographic look at different Jesus followers. As we learn about who they are and what they've experienced, we will catch a glimpse of the Good Shepherd leading them along the path of faith. It is my hope that God's presence in their stories will give you a clearer vision of God's presence in yours. In this episode, I'd like to introduce you to someone who is unfamiliar to our Bread of Life community. Kristen Wells is a follower of Jesus who is also a wife, a mom, a teacher, a baker, a writer, and an artist. Unlike most of our guests, Kristen is not someone I've known for long at all. I met Kristen just weeks ago because I was introduced to her cookies. Amazing artistic creations that are certainly jaw-dropping and double-take worthy. Abby received a set of her Harry Potter cookies as a gift. And let's just say we didn't want to eat them. They were too pretty. When I searched Kristen's website, I discovered that she is a follower of Jesus with a compelling story full of peaks and many dark valleys that feel soul-crushing. And through it all, it's clear that Kristen is a vibrant soul with a joy, hope, and purpose that make no earthly sense considering the details of her life. Her story is a sparkling example of the power of God's love and grace in the life of someone who is desperate for him and paints for us a weighty picture of what gospel redemption is all about. Because of the length of our conversation, we will release it in two parts. Here, in part one, Kristen shares with us her life during her student years. Years of trouble for her that really set the stage for the redeeming power of Jesus to radically transform a desperate young woman. A couple of warnings before you meet Kristen. First, I'd say this episode is a bit like The Empire Strikes Back, you know, from the original Star Wars trilogy. A lot of bad stuff happens, and it ends at maybe the lowest point of Kristen's life. You'll have to wait for part two for redemption. And second, Kristen is someone who is very quickly open about her life. She is open even about details that most of us would be quick to hide. I invited Kristen to share these things in our conversation because the reality of the darkness of her life and our lives must be acknowledged so that the light of the gospel can be seen and Jesus glorified as he deserves. All right, enough introduction. Let's meet Kristen Wells. Kristen, thank you so much for joining our podcast. I'm really thankful for uh, just kind of the the uh, unexpected uh, connection uh, to make <laughs> with you and just your willingness to to join us for this month. Oh, thank you, Jason. I'm really excited to be here. And just the funny way that we were able to meet each other just shows how God works in mysterious 
ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, your 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 cookies and everything were eye catching, and so then to, to find out about your story and uh, just how encouraging it was to me to read it was uh, <clears throat> kind of the cookies were were kind of the 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 catch, but uh, there was so much more substance underneath, <laughs> and and that that was exciting. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you know, uh, I mentioned uh, in the or in the beginning of of this episode, I mentioned that mm -hmm. you are very open about your story, and there are mm -hmm. a lot of uh, parts to your story that people might want to hide, and yet you're yeah. very open about it. What is mm -hmm. it that compels you to be so open about your story? I think. You know, I have to say it took me a while to get to this point. Um, I think as I went through having my kids um, and watching them in their early stages kind of grow up and kind of getting involved with some of the other moms uh, at church and whatnot, it really hit me that there was transparency issue and I was part of the problem in some aspects. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I started talking to people, it was interesting to see how we all kind of were hiding mm -hmm. behind a, a veil of perfection or mm -hmm. the idea that we needed to be or look like something in order for people to take us seriously in the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so I think my real step out was I secretly kind of wrote this book you know, a while ago and <laughs> it called the warring soul, which was about, I wasn't even going to do anything with it at all. Um, it was really just me kind of trying to come out behind my own personal veil mm. and write my story down to some extent of what my life had been like and had and was currently at that time. Yeah. And so I gave it to a friend who then was like, you should really share this. And mm -hmm. so it just became something where as I started to share the book and then the book eventually got published, it's no longer in circulation now, but mm -hmm. as it did get published, it was really interesting to me as people wrote it. Was, <laughs> needless to say, before it got published, my husband was like, I should probably read this thing and see what you're <laughs> saying. And, you know, <laughs> And he, it was, I think we both took a huge step and allowing people into my life and into our lives because we were really afraid of mm. what people would think. I mean, even my husband said to me, he's like, you know, Kristen, you're, you're opening a door here mm -hmm. uh, to people seeing something that you may not want them to see. And mm -hmm. it really went back for me to Paul, mm. the apostle Paul, and how he really never allowed his testimony to hold him back. He used his testimony to share God's grace. Mm -hmm. And, and I kind of thought to myself, man, if Paul can do this, and it was such, I think for Paul, it was such a thing where he really used that those scars that he had developed and showed them off. Mm -hmm. And he would stand before people and say, this is where I was. Mm -hmm. This is who I am. How great is our God 
Mm-hmm. And I think the greatest compliment I could get from people was the shock of hearing my story and seeing who I am now and saying, I would never have thought. Mm. And I was, I thank you for God's justifying work in my life, you know, and his ever present sanctification, which will be going on until the very end. And so Mm. I think just seeing some of people's reactions and then really holding myself to you know, just kind of what Paul exemplified for us and what is possible. I felt almost like afterwards, it was a disservice to God that I was holding back my testimony Mm -hmm. because that's a story of his grace and that's glorifying to him. Mm -hmm. And he says Mm -hmm. for us to do all things glorifying unto him. And I just felt like this is something that instead of being glorifying by hiding, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not, I'm really Mm -hmm. doing him a disservice to who he is and who his character is by holding back that story. Mm -hmm. That's so good. Yeah. That's really, really great. Uh, Now I'm eager to get into the story. So um, let's um, maybe we can just start with some of the details of like about who you are, about your family and uh, some of the things that you've done with your life. You know, I know that you've shared about your, uh, your role as an educator and things like Mm -hmm. that. So let's start there. Okay. Well, I've been married for, man, I, I've so long I've lost count. So 20, (laughs) 22 years. Um, I've been with my husband for 25 years. I'm 45 and I have two kids, uh, a freshman at Biola university. She's studying nursing. Okay. And then I have a son who is a freshman in high school mm-hmm. and he has uh, severe autoimmune issues. And okay. so um, he takes a little extra work. So my job nowadays <laughs> is more so caregiver uh, yeah. for him. But when I started out, I went to, um, I was born and raised in Northern California. I lived my whole life in Northern California. Mm. And funny enough, like most Northern Californians, we are bred with the intention of never living in Southern California. <laughs> 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 Especially when you're from like the Sierra Nevadas, which is uh-huh. where I'm from. And funny enough, I God brought me down here to um, the master's college when I was a junior in college. Okay. Uh, so I had transferred um, into the master's college, which we can get to later. But I graduated with a degree in biblical counseling and a minor in Bible and Um, got married right out of college. So we got married four or five months after we graduated. My husband was the same year as me. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, I worked a lot of different jobs at first doing customer service and different things like that, but then working in counseling on the side at church. Um, After I had the kids and they started going to school And actually Mm -hmm. we were going to the Christian school that I ended up working at. I was Mm -hmm. hired on to do Bible teaching, creative writing, um, and, uh, doing a coding of women there. And I worked there for four years. Mm -hmm. Um, and this was, I wrote the book, gosh, when did I write the book? 2013, I think. Okay. And that was still when I was 
a stay-at-home mom and the PTA mom <laughs> working uh, at the school. Okay. So, uh, yeah, then I, my son got sick okay. and, uh, we how, ended up. How, how old was he when, uh, with his diagnosis? He was diagnosed 11. Oh, 11. Okay. He was okay. 11 when he was diagnosed and funny enough, his being diagnosed was part of such a redemptive story. Um, with my husband and I, and just some of the things that him and I were going through at the time. And so even though Justin really suffers now, uh, he is, he's such an inspiration and he really is God's. We, in fact, we were told after I had my daughter, um, that I'd never be able to have any more children Hmm. and that it would be really devastating to my health if I did if I even survived through it Mm -hmm. and crazy enough, we, God just, he just works and here's Justin. And so it's, he, when he was diagnosed at 11, we pulled the kids and put them in public school, um, which my daughter wanted to do anyway, to really Mm -hmm. transition herself into going off of on her own. Mm -hmm. And uh, we decided that, the ability for Justin to get what he needed disability wise, uh, was really good at the schools here. So, um, and I knew I needed to stop working and be full-time with him. Yeah. So I started doing that instead. So now I do cookies and, uh, work (laughs) doing more creative things and kind of getting back to my roots a little bit of who I know that, you know, using my gifts that God gave me in order to to glorify him. Yeah, that's great. I can't wait to get to the cookies part of the conversation. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I will definitely post pictures of the cookies uh, for the oh, students thank you. to see. And uh, it, it, I think they're the kind of cookies where you have to do a double take because you're not really sure that they're Aww. actually cookies. So <laughs> it's an art form for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you're not just cookies. Your story includes cookies and art. <laughs> it does. Uh, but it does. Lots of art. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But your faith journey is a lot more complicated than that. Uh, and Very so much so. I think it would be great to hear about how your faith journey began and some of the peaks mm-hmm. and especially some of the valley, valleys uh, over the sure. years. Well, you know, yeah, my... My coming to the Lord is not the cheeriest. I'm not, I did not come from a Christian home. Um, I was not saved when I was seven at church camp. (laughs) It it was a wish. That was my husband. That is my husband's story. And I think that's why we complement each other so well. Um, But I was raised, uh, we moved a lot. My sister and I have an older sister. She's 22 months older than me. And my mom had us when my, see, my mom was 20 when she had my sister and 22 when she had me and she's from Germany. She moved here when she was 17, my mom. And so I think for my mother, she was raised, she's adopted Mm. and, uh, she had had a very difficult upbringing herself being Mm -hmm. living in Germany while it was still. Um, under communism rule. And and so for her coming over here as an immigrant and 
um, she married my dad six months into being here in order to stay and not move to Thailand. So their relationship was a little on the tumultuous side to say the least. And my lot of, um, was not a believer, neither my dad still isn't. Um, and they had a lot of marital issues. So when they had my sister and I, I think the idea of having kids, uh, was uh, something that when they had my sister, I think they thought it would help their relationship. Mm. Um, I was not wanted. I was not something that was tried for. In fact, I was very much prevented, tried to be prevented. Mm. Um, however, the Lord was like, nope, she's coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a plan for this one. Exactly, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, unfortunately, that was a message that was carried across my entire life. Uh, and um, my sister and I were, I would say what, what we used to call at that time latchkey kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we had dual working parents, um, and my, from the time I was six. Mm-hmm. So, um, my sister and I really, from the time I was six and she was eight needed to kind of fend for ourselves. We mm-hmm. cooked, we cleaned, um, at the age of 12, I got a job, uh, mm-hmm. in order to afford shampoo and toothpaste and all that kind of stuff. We didn't really have any money and, my parents were very absent. Um, my dad did not show love or affection. And my, my mother had a a lot dealt with narcissistic kind of depressive tendencies that just, Mm. I don't think she really knew how to deal with being a mom. And so unfortunately that really came out as physical and mental abuse. Um, we were, definitely (laughs) made to be known that, that we were a nuisance and a burden rather Mm -hmm. than a blessing. So, you know, those things really, as a kid, I think it's really difficult because for me, I think that inbred an idea of trying to achieve perfection in order to be loved. And I really, really, really tried uh, to, to be something for her so that I could be loved by her. And um, that really manifested in everything I did. I was a, you know, honor student pre-med from the time I was in seventh grade, taking extra college courses at the local college, working, doing drama, trying everything I could do to really present myself a beautiful picture, you know, um, at the age of 12 as well, I became an anorexic and a bulimic because to me that again, that was the perfect image. My mom Mm. was an anorexic. In fact, at the age of eight, we found my mom, um, passed out on the floor because she hadn't eaten for days. And Mm -hmm. so we literally opened her mouth. My sister and I were trying to force feed her yogurt and calling 911. And um, so she, you know, really kind of exemplified that as far as this perfect image of a a woman, like being uh, thin was extremely important for that perfection. And so I took that on for myself and 
um, she would take us to have, you know, to the gym and take us to get our hair dyed. And it was just kind of this molding this image of this person. It mm-hmm. didn't really matter what you were on the inside, as long as the outside looked really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in fact, my whole friend group was like, oh my goodness, your mom is so beautiful and you're so lucky. You guys must have the perfect family. Yeah. <laughs> so, so she was successful in that. <laughs> She was very successful, very yeah. successful. She was a beautiful woman and she really, really thrived on that. And um, unfortunately, you know, even today she would admit those things and she, it was evident in the fact that she sought solace in the arms of other men um, during the time that we were growing up and, and that became kind of pertinent to our, our life was searching for my mom. Like, where did she go? And, (laughs) uh, you know, as a young kid growing up in a physically abusive, mentally abusive home, never knowing where she was, Mm uh, drinking her drinking all the time, and then having a very absent father as far as, his response when she would hit us would be like, you know, your mother, um, Mm. he loved her. He worshiped the ground she walked on. So for, for her, she could pretty much get kind of do whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was schluffed off by him. And there was at one point where I had said something in the car and I was, I think I was 13 at the time Mm -hmm. and my mom didn't like it. And so she kicked me out of the car and made me walk home. And I Mm -hmm. had stopped by a friend's house and my friend confided in me that, you know, I think there might be something going on in your home. And Mm -hmm. I finally confided in her some of the things that were going on in our home. And, uh, you know, her parents did try to help me, Mm -hmm. but I don't think they knew they knew what to do. Sure. Um, and so I think as a kid in that situation, you feel very lost because mm-hmm. on the outward, really to most people, unless you confide in them, I looked great. You're able to bruises and different things as a kid, you know, and I ran track and I played tennis and, you know, I was very klutzy, so I could really, <laughs> I could really <laughs> excuse those things away really well. And sure. um, so when I, I, I really, my dream at that point was to be a cardiac surgeon, go to Stanford. Um, I mean, I really, of course, right. You yeah. I really, really, really wanted to make those dreams reality. And yeah. I did, I got into Stanford, mm. but we didn't have the money for me to go there. And mm. so part of the redemptive story, which is so crazy to me is that at the time I entered a beauty pageant, which was a wonderful thing to my mom, um, in order to get scholarship money, it was a local pageant. We make fun of it. Now it was called, uh, sweetheart of the mountains. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) I entered it because there was a really good first prize scholarship money, but I really was trying, I was like, okay, I need this money to go to Stanford. Um, I didn't win. I got first runner up, Okay. (laughs) but it wasn't enough money. It was only $6,000. So um, I didn't get to go to Stanford, but I met a wonderful girl named Hallie Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And she, uh, she won Miss Congeniality and she was the nicest person I'd ever met. And she was a Christian mm-hmm. and, uh, we became friends. Um, she decided to go to the master's college and I went to Chico state university. And when I left for Chico, uh, my mom moved out. She was dating, um, our veterinarian at the time. <laughs> Mm-hmm. and decided to leave my dad and um my dad went into a huge depression and my, my sister had left she was down at Fullerton California State University Fullerton okay. and uh trying to kind of move away from our family she started she was anorexic as well and at this point she started getting therapy and she was really trying to move away from the tumultuous of our family and kind of really to become her own person. And so I, I felt very lost and alone. Mm. My sister and I had always taken care of each other. In fact, she would take some of my beatings. If Mm. my mom was getting on me, she would step in. Mm. And so Dory has always kind of been this person in my life that just protected me. Um, And so when she left and I was at Chico, I felt very lost. I felt very alone Mm. and I really felt like the only way that people could like me or love me was just to be a chameleon to my surroundings. Like what is it that they want me to be in order Mm -hmm. for them? And unfortunately for me, I had started as pre-med there and, but quickly at that time, Chico state was very well known for being a party school. Mm. Um, and so in order to be accepted there, you really needed to kind of immerse yourself into that environment. And I really was able to stay away from that for about a semester. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but when everybody around you is doing that, Mm -hmm. it's really difficult to stay away if you're not a strong enough person. And I really wasn't because I really wanted acceptance. Mm -hmm. Um, I ended up befriending some people who really made me feel like they cared about me. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you know, you hindsight, you look back and, and you think, okay, probably not. Yeah. Um, yeah. As, as to them, acceptance meant partying, drugs, alcohol. And I quickly fell into that. And I think because I really, I did, I felt I felt accepted there. I Mm -hmm. felt um, wanted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's a really powerful emotion when you haven't felt that your whole life. Yeah. Yeah. So I went headstrong into those things. And um, my anorexia and my bulimia got a lot worse. And Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. it, it got to the point where my sister became really worried about me. And even my parents actually, for the first time, really started to worry about me Hmm. and uh, came down and said, Hey, you know, if you keep up this lifestyle that you're living right now, we're going to cut, we're going to cut any association off with you. Hmm. And so this was my sophomore year now um, at Chico state and uh, my grades were failing. My health was failing. (laughs) I was getting into a lot of trouble. 
I had moved off campus and um, was in the midst of a lot of (laughs) situations that were involved a lot of drugs. Mm -hmm. And um, my parents like, you really need, this really needs to stop. So, you know, I think at this point, the Lord was really setting me up for what he was about to do. I think that he, he, sometimes we were really needed to be brought low in order to, um, see God. Uh, and I had tried to commit, um, suicide twice by this point, uh, just because of, you know, the drug use and everything, it really only fills you for (laughs) a second. And then reality hits. And mm-hmm. as my parents were starting to try to cut me off and my job wasn't going well and school wasn't going well and all these things that I had worked for mm-hmm. during high mm-hmm. school, I just saw failing before me. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I was put in for the college. I was put into a therapy group and, and put on probation and yeah, for yeah. somebody who graduated with honors and, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, saw herself going to Stanford, this is not how I had seen my life going. So yeah. I was really depressed. And um, I, uh, my roommate, and this was kind of the pinnacle for the Lord of me just being done. And my roommate had decided, Hey, let's go to a fraternity party. And I had kind of sworn off partying as I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it anymore. I need to get my life back on track. Yeah. But she really wanted me to go. She just come be my wingman. And so I went Yeah. and, uh, I had one drink and the next morning I woke up, um, in a bathtub mm-hmm. bruised from head to toe, mm-hmm. um, not knowing what had happened the night before. Yeah. And I think for me, that was, Ooh, I'm going to get teary. <laughs> uh, that was a really difficult point in my life. Yeah. So, you know, seeing yourself in the mirror and you're, you're missing hair, you're yeah. bruised, you know, and kind of trying to come to the idea of what had happened to you the night before having bits and pieces of memory, but not a lot. Yeah. Um, things have come back since then. And, you know, there, we were able to kind of figure out a little bit of what have ha- had happened at that point. Um, mm-hmm. but we had known I had been sexually assaulted yeah. and, um, so crazy enough, I, <laughs> one of my roommate, my roommate, I had three roommates at the time. And one of them was a guy and his name was Andy and he had a girlfriend and they were Christians and mm-hmm. his girlfriend had come over that morning to go to church. Mm-hmm. And she, so, I, so, sorry, this was the morning yeah, after, after the, the party. morning after the party. Okay. And at this point I was ready to say these suicide attempts need to be successful. Uh, this was the pinnacle of just, I look at me and I can't, I can't go on any longer. And, uh, I had come out of my room to get a glass of water and she was there and she took one look at me and, and just cried Hmm. and hugged me and said, you know, uh, my, I went by Chris at the time. She said, Chris, you need to come to church with me today. Hmm. 
And for me, I guess the, I don't even know why I said yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was just happy somebody was concerned. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's time to take a breath. Time to pause in Kristen's story. But at this point, I, I do wonder how someone with a childhood like that and a drive to self-justify find joy and hope and peace? Of course, the answer is a popular one. It's the same one that we hear in Sunday school all the time. It's Jesus. But I've got to tell you, stories of redemption through Jesus are never identical, and they never get old. Keep an eye out for part two, where Kristen meets Jesus, finds redemption, and admits that her relationship with Jesus is still an ongoing struggle.